You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text is from Acts 11, 19 through 26, and 13, 1 through 3. Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some among them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a large number of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, good morning, King's Cross Church, all those who are visiting with us as well. So grateful to be here with you today as we do continue this series that we have in um, our values, foundations, and values beginning this year. And ne- uh, next week, we're going to be picking up back in actually Acts where we're reading right now. We'll be there in a few more weeks. So we're going to be touching this from a different angle. But today, in particular, this week, we uh, I'm Chad, by the way, one of the pastors we haven't met in talked about this, introduced myself. I'm always late on that. Um, But uh, we normally teach through books of the Bible like Acts, but as we're in this series, we're looking at this particular passage from a little different angle. It's specifically in the city of Antioch, uh, as you already heard, read this morning, a city that was an early hub of church planting and mission in that early church. Really a church of mission, And we're looking specifically at one of our values, which is called multiplication. Last week we talked about sacrificial service. Aaron began multiple weeks ago talking about the foundations of the gospel, that we are both founded as believers on the gospel, but we also live in the gospel. uh, And our life is based there, and prayer is our dependence on God. That was, uh, he spoke about that several weeks ago. Uh, Two weeks ago we talked about the community of faith that God brings together. And how we are founded, our foundation is in love. That God is love and we are his people. Last week in the uh, Good Samaritan, maybe a familiar story you have heard in, in your lifetime there, but Aaron talked about sacrificial service, laying aside our own preferences, our own uh, personal needs, maybe at times, but for the good of others. And this week as we talk about multiplication, Uh, We're continuing with that in the view of this city of Antioch. Um, Talked a couple weeks ago about how we have a view, a vision, 
an Antioch vision, if you will, for King's Cross and what we might be in the future as we prayerfully consider and follow after God what he could grow us into over the next five to ten years where we want to be a hub of missionary sending, preparing, equipping uh, church planters and missionaries throughout North Carolina and the rest of the world. And we celebrated even a couple weeks ago where our sending church had planted out another church that's on the other side of Raleigh and Southeast Raleigh, Missy O'Day, and they're on their third Sunday today. And so we celebrate the fact that the gospel is going forth, uh, new bodies of believers in new areas with new people coming to know the very old story and good news of Christ. So Antioch was a cosmopolitan city in the ancient world where the east met the west, a diverse area, a diverse place of education, languages, and religion. And yet in that space, the gospel united together a people and that missionaries went out, that the gospel went forth, and we want to pray towards those ends. And as we look at multiplication, what we're talking about here is something that is actually original from Genesis. You're familiar with the account of creation. God makes man and woman in the garden, places them there, and one of the first commands he ever gives them is, in verse 28 of chapter 1, he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That they were God's image bearers placed in the garden. It's very interesting. It's almost like a temple motif set up in the very beginning, if you've ever read it or heard it that way that you would put together a place of worship, a place of communion in the ancient world. Temples would be put together, and the last thing they would do would be put the idol in the temple where the God would be captured or reside or be there where you would worship him. But in Genesis, God places together everything in an order and puts the garden and then places not an idol of wood and stone, but he places mankind, his image bearer, living, breathing, communing body that relates to God and knows him. Not just a, a dead idol. And so as we're that image of God, God has commanded us to fill the earth with his glory. To multiply. And so we're talking about this morning, that message of multiplication. If you're here with us visiting, it's a good day uh, to, to hear what is that message of multiplication. What is it that the church has been placed here on this earth to do as we carry the message and the good news of Christ? So I'm going to pray before we dig in further into this text and uh, that the Spirit would be with us and lead us. Father, thank you so much for your kindness this morning. Thank you for your continued kindness and providence throughout our lives. Um, God, you direct our paths and even have brought us here this morning for all those who are in this room. I trust in your sovereignty and your providence uh, that your message will go forth. Uh, Lord, hide me behind the glory of your word that your majesty would be clear. And move us to be more like Christ. I ask this in his name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I do want to look at Acts chapter 11 and 13. That's what was read as the text and basis. It's really an, a reflection of what is happening in Antioch where we see multiplication happening. And I want to see the evidence of that multiplication, how we might learn from that. What is it, how does that relate to us? What does it mean to be multiplying? But in order to do that, I think that it's important to lay a little groundwork on why. What is it, this message that we're carrying forward? See, I, I, I want to set a differentiation between multiplication and what I'm calling addition. All right? Now, I have no basis other than just using math words right now 
for addition and multiplication. Uh, but I am making a distinction because I think it's helpful for us to consider in this way. The difference I'm, disti- I'm making is that addition for me, as I'm describing it, is like we could come together as a church here and we could throw together a great church service, even do community events and big bang out awesome things, festivals, whatever it is, Easter egg hunts. We've done these things. And then in doing so, <clears throat> as that is being, occurring, and going on, see more families, more individuals who see what we're doing, join in, and want to be a part of that, hear the gospel, maybe even come to Christ, and all those, that's good, and that's, that's really good, but the danger would be that ministry is something done by the professionals at the church, that it's, a, it's, a, it's an up-high thing that's being organized as an event, And that we're drawing people together and just adding them in like that, which is a good thing to do. God can add that way. But we're relying on the church events in this way. We're we're really essentially almost doing like setting a lighthouse out to provide light for the entire city. One spot beaming out and then hoping to draw people in like flies. Inevitably, if you set a lighthouse out to light an entire city, you're going to get blocked by buildings. The light's not going to penetrate through closed doors, closed shades. Maybe you're like me. My wife gets up first thing in the morning. All the blinds go open. If it's my house, I don't even notice they're not open. People come in and like, somebody in here? So that light's not going to penetrate that. And the distinction I want to make is that multiplication starts with the individual children of God. Multiplication starts with you as an individual, with your families, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, in your homes, at the dinner table, at the park, in the classroom. Instead of the church then being a lighthouse, you are a lamp carrying light to every home and street. You're illuminating dark corners of the city with the good news of the gospel and the transformative power of God's kingdom in places that we aren't going to shine from up here on this hill. That's what we believe Christ has commissioned his disciples to do and be, to be lampstands where they live and to carry the message of the gospel. See, kingdom multiplication happens when the people of God embody our commission from Christ to be disciple-making disciples. Now, does that mean that we are pushing our religion on other people? That could be the accusation. Hey, I'm good with what I believe. Why don't you just let me be? Maybe we can even convince ourselves that that's what it is, and we don't want to be that person, right? I want to let them believe what they believe. They seem happy. We aren't trying, and we don't believe we can force the gospel on anyone. Don't hear that today. In fact, I can't change someone. But to believe that, that we are pushing religion in multiplication, if that's what you believe we're doing, is to misunderstand the message that we carry. And so the first thing I want to see, if we're commissioned by Christ, what is the message that we carry? And for that, I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, to see in that text. The passage fully is in 16 through 21, but Christ comes into Nazareth on the Sabbath day, and he goes into a synagogue, and he is commissioning or he is starting, inaugurating his ministry. And he grabs a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll. He finds a place and he reads this. He says this, verse 18 is where it starts. The spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, he sits down, and he says, Today you have seen this fulfilled in your presence. It's starting. So what's the message he's bringing? He is good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind people who can't see, to see, freeing the oppressed people, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. He's not coming to say, God's coming with a sword to slice you. I mean, he's coming to say, God wants you to be free. Freedom and salvation is the message that we carry. See, at this point in time, People, just like today, are enslaved. Scripture says, for those who sin are a slave to sin, whether we realize it or not. And and in very clear ways, even outside in Antioch, where they're going to a non-Jewish space, but even what the people that Jesus is speaking to, they're they're clearly enslaved by other gods, even. Enshrining them, worshiping them in pursuit of worldly gain. They're setting up gods for wealth and prosperity power, more crops, fertility, having kids, a good love life, victory in war. But all the while, they're, they're worshiping these gods, or they're entreating in, in these gods for these things that they want, serving their flesh and their desires, but they're living with uncertainty if their God is actually pleased with them or even likes them. It's actually in that space that Paul comes to in Acts chapter 17 when he's in Athens. He goes to a place where he sees gods everywhere. He sees them worshiping gods of every type. And they're wanting to cover every basis. They're wanting to make sure they have prosperity in every avenue of life so they've got a God for everything. So much so that he says there's a God there that's an unknown God in case they forgot something. In Acts 17, 22, he's being questioned about his new message, and he says that Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said this, People of Athens, I see you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar in which it was inscribed, An unknown God. Therefore, I love this, he's just he's so much better than me. He's got a hook. He's like, you know what? What you worship in ignorance, you don't know about this God? I want to tell you about him. The one you don't have here. The one you don't acknowledge. And he goes on to tell them about God who made the world and everything in it. And this God who is not captured in, 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 in things of silver and wood. He's not held down and small in that way. And he gives life and meaning to everyone. And we have been created in him. And he has appointed the times and boundaries where they live so that we might find him. And then he gets to the end of this where he tells them this message in verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, that time of worship and and distraction and slavery, all that time, God's, God's moving past that because there's a new way. God has now commanded all people everywhere to repent, stop that, turn from that, come back to the one true God, the one most high God, because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world and righteousness by the man he's appointed. And that man he's talking about is Jesus. He's coming to those people with that same message. You're enslaved to all these things. You've got all these gods. The God who is true and right and most high has now told you that stuff's over. Turn to him. He is the source of life. And have you ever considered what it means for God to judge the world in righteousness? 
to truly righteously judge the world? Seriously, get rid of all unrighteousness. What does that mean? Like if he came right now and said no more righteous, unrighteousness, all gone. He's judging it purely. I mean, honestly, when, when, when tragedy happens, when school shootings happen, when evil is perpetrated, when justice is denied, the world asks this question. They say, where's God? Why doesn't he do something? And when Paul says that he is going to judge in righteousness, he's saying that very thing. He is going to do something about unrighteousness. You need to repent and turn to him. Because if he judges and you're standing there on your own merit, who's going to stay standing? There's a hip-hop artist, Christian hip-hop artist by the name of Lecrae, if you're familiar with him. Used to be a big Lecrae fan back in the day in some of his early albums, and one of them was called Rebel. One of the tracks on there is called Truth, and he comes to a point where he asks this exact same question, and I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to read exactly how it's written, so if it sounds like I'm going a little slang here, just understand, I'm reading exactly the quote. It's actually a spoken section, so I don't have to. (laughs) Give me that beat. He says this, some people say that God ain't real because they don't see how a good God can exist with all this evil in the world. If God is real, then he should stop all this evil because he's all powerful, right? What is evil though, man? It's anything that's against God. It's anything morally bad or wrong. It's murder, it's rape, it's stealing, it's lying, it's cheating. But if we want God to stop evil, do we want him to stop it all or just a little bit of it? If he stops us from doing evil things, what about lying? What about our evil thoughts? I mean, where do you stop? The murder level, the lying level, or the thinking level? If we want him to stop evil, we've got to be consistent. We can't just pick and choose. That means you and I would be eliminated, right? Because we think evil stuff. And if that's true, we should be eliminated. But thanks be to God that Jesus stepped in to save us from our sin. Christ died for all evilness. Repent and turn to Jesus, man. For God to truly love all, he must hate the evil and sin we do to one another. More than that, our sin is an offense to the perfect nature of the very God who made us. How can he be all loving and not seek justice? How can he be just and all-powerful, and not destroy evil? And how can he destroy evil and not destroy us? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses. He proves his own love for us in that while we were still dead in those sins, Christ died for us. That's the way he's able to do that. He is able to be perfectly just in judgment on evil and sin in this world because Christ willingly stepped forward to take it on our behalf. And for those who are in Christ, he can now also give us and show us mercy. And that's what Romans tells us. Paul, in the letter to Romans, he says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are, but they are justified freely by grace through redemption that's in Christ. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would both be just on evil and sin and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. We carry that message to an enslaved world.
in bondage to sin, in bondage to the flesh. Maybe you're familiar with a holiday called Juneteenth. Juneteenth. It commemorates the date of June 19th in 1865. And if you're not familiar with this, that's the date on which enslaved people, enslaved people in, uh, in America, in Galveston, Texas specifically, finally received the news that they were free. This was two years after President Abraham Lincoln uh, Emancipation Proclamation. It was one year after the Senate passed the 13th Amendment, and it was uh, abolishing slavery and in, uh, on April 18th, 1864, and it was six months after that was passed by the house, house, meaning at least six months they were already free, and they just didn't know it. They didn't know it. I don't know if their masters knew it. We carry the good news of Christ and freedom offered in him to a world that's in rebellion and in slavery to sin, and they just might not know it yet. We might not have all these shrines and altars in our homes, but we're still enslaved to the flesh and its desires. To chase that hustle, be the next, chase the next fad, the next diet, the next guru, the things that promise health, wealth, power, Love, affection. We're all bent in our iniquity. And I don't think you can honestly tell me today that there's not something that if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you're weak, if you're frail at the give, any given time, that you don't have a bent towards something evil that gives you the opportunity to numb your mind, to feed your flesh to satiate the hunger and the thirst of the flesh that you have that is hopefully being weakened. All while starving our spirit, our spirit that God has created to drink from a never-ending fountain of living water and to feast on the bread of life in relationship with our eternal and loving Father. That's what we're made for. That's what the world out there is made for, and that is the message we carry that the Most High God has commanded all people everywhere to repent and turn to Him, to life. And Christ has not only given us that message, but He's also given us that as a mission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where He takes His disciples up right before He ascends to heaven after His, after his resurrection, and He tells them that all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go therefore, what? And make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I command you and remember I am with you always. Jesus tells them, I've got all authority now, meaning I've crushed the enemy. Go make disciples and tell them. They can now turn to me. They don't have to worry about what, what the gods might give them or what the world might think of them. They can follow and serve the Most High God where there is freedom and life. We're commanded then to go and make disciples. If we carry the message of Christ and that freedom as his disciples, he says, go and make disciples and then teach them what I commanded you. And so what did he command us? To go make disciples. So if you make disciples, what are you going to teach them? To go make disciples. And if they make disciples that are following what you told them, what Jesus told you, you see what I'm saying? You're making disciple, making disciples. And so we have the message from Christ we have the mission from Christ. We've been commissioned to carry that. What does that look like practically? Well, let's look at this message 
or look, let's look at the story here in uh, Antioch in Acts, where we see them on mission for Christ. Look in verse uh, 19 in chapter 11, where we see evangelism start to happen in Antioch. Now, those who have been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, just as a little bit of background on this particular area, we're going to get into it more in a few weeks because we're going to come back to this passage again in our Acts series. But, but while I'm taking a step back to look specifically at how multiplication is happening, I do want to point out why it's a big deal that they're going to the Greeks. Because most recently there was a debate in the church about if this is just a Jewish thing, like, a, like the real most high God of the Jews, and we're in here. And Peter has recently gone through some revelation. God opened his eyes to see that, yeah, this is not just for you Jews, but for the entire world, all nations. Like I meant that. Go make disciples of all nations. Remember when I said that? And so here, that's why in this passage it says that they were speaking to no one except Jews, and then some men came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks. And what were they doing? Proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Evangelism, God's people proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. Actually showing the gospel to people. That good news that we talked about to people who have not heard it or don't know. They're ignorant. They don't know they're in bondage to sin. They're hearing the good news from them. And so in this context, we see in evangelism, first they are proclaiming the good news. They are telling these people, the Greeks, by the way, the Lord Jesus has covered all your sin. You're free. You're free from sin. You can turn to God and repent and follow Jesus. And then what happens in verse 21? The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So what do we see there? Well, not only is it that they're proclaiming, they're speaking, they're telling people about this good news, they're carrying the message, but God's power is the one now. It says the Lord's hand is with them, and what happens as a result of that? A large number who believed turn to the Lord. So now we see people are proclaiming the good news. God's power is bringing people into the kingdom. Verse 22, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they, were sent, uh, they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. There's like always NZ stories like that. And then more people join. And large numbers join. So what's happening here? Well, that debate about whether or not the, the message would go out from the Jews. Well, well, they've been forced out of Jerusalem because of persecution. And so now Barnabas has heard news that there's some people who are Greeks and non-Jews who are capturing, uh, the Spirit of God is filling, and they're convert, they're believing in Jesus. And so he wants to go find out what's happening. So he travels there, he arrives, and he sees the grace of God and recognizes it, and he's glad and he's encouraged. And he encourages them to remain true to devoted hearts, because why? He's full of the Spirit. And more people continue to be added. So we have in Antioch, we have the, the news is being proclaimed. We see God's power is bringing the increase. And we see that this is all happening in the context of community because Barnabas is joining and seeing what's happening and he's encouraging, he's partnering, he's celebrating the advance of the gospel. 
See, we are God's people, and as God's people, we should be embodying this mission that God's given us, carrying the message and proclaiming it, to be the hands and the feet of Christ, but also the mouth, to speak, that we share what is good and true about God, that he is the good news, the salvation of all people. And then in addition to that, we trust in the power of God to do the work. It's not us. See, trusting him is proclaiming and then trusting that he is going to do the work and it's not on us. And something else from this text is that you don't have to think about yourself flying solo in it. Right? Maybe you've been in uh, an evangelism class. Maybe you've, you've walked through one of those trainings. Every methodology for evangelism that I've seen, um, most often, maybe you guys could share some others, does not involve uh, the participation of other people. But more often, what do I say at the right time to get the person to hear the good news, to get them to, you know, amen, Jesus. But my encouragement to you is we do this together. Yes, it happens by the people of God, but it's by encouragement, by celebration of, of the victories in people's lives, by challenging, by seeing the grace of God in others and recognizing and acknowledging it, to pray for one another. And one of the ways that I'm encouraging us to think about this is there's actually a, um, I don't know what the right word to describe this with, a movement maybe it was within NC Baptist at one point called Who's Your One? Okay? And I'm only encouraging you this. As you think about evangelism, the idea of showing new people the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been, there are ways in which we have maybe been pressed back in those ways we talked about earlier of feeling like we don't want to impose on others. And my encouragement is, uh, and to you is to be more proactive in the way we think about how we share the good news of Christ. And here's how. Here's how. First, I want to encourage you to pray about the people that God has in your life. Pray about them. Pray about who's in your life that God would show you needs to hear this message. Just one. Just think about it. Then I'm encouraging you to key in on at least one person that the Spirit brings to your mind. At least one. Whoever brings to your mind that does not know freedom in Christ. And then, again, pray. Pray that God would work in their heart. Pray for boldness and clarity to speak life when you have the opportunity. And pray that God gives you clear opportunities to do so. Pray. That's that foundation we talked about. The gospel is our foundation. Prayer is our dependency on him. Pray for their salvation and pray for their freedom in Christ. Pray for them to come to Jesus as Lord. And then here's my third encouragement. Share this person's name with at least one other member at King's Cross. Because you're not alone. Pray, encourage, and celebrate together. Like, I've got this person that God's laid on my heart, and I'm praying about it, and I want, it, I want you to pray with me, to join in spirit together, that we'd be praying that God would give clear opportunities to speak truth, to speak clearly. Pray for me and my boldness. Pray for me to have those opportunities, and pray for me to seize those opportunities where I might encourage hearts and do it together. And then secondly, as we see people come to faith in this text, we see discipleship happening. Because evangelism, just showing people the gospel, isn't the end of the gospel road, if you will. But in verse 25 and 26, we see, we see discipleship begin. 
Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's how we get our name badge, right? They say, hey, you guys are like little Christ. It was actually kind of derogatory, It's my understanding. They were kind of doing a slang, like, uh-uh, don't worry about them. They're little Christ people, little Christians. And they were like, we'll take it. You know, started making T-shirts and whatever. I don't know. Um, so in this case, we see discipleship happening. Why? Because evangelism, while it's showing people the good news who have not heard that, discipleship is applying the good news to our life. The gospel might be our foundation, but we don't walk away from the gospel and graduate on to something different. That living the gospel more and more is the pursuit of the Christian life. That our trusting in God in Christ is an obedience to him to lay down ourselves and to follow after him. It's not simply the gateway into eternity. It's the road we follow. It's what Paul says in Corinthians when he tells them, I want to make clear for you, brothers, and sisters, the gospel that I what preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. That they are continuing to stand in the gospel. That we are saved by Christ and justified by him, but that we continue to trust in him in our obedience. And that God continues to, to grow us as we demonstrate fruit of the Spirit in our life. And that we encourage one another, that we press one another on towards those good works. Who are you discipling? Who are you investing in? Who are you praying that God would make clear to you, have an opportunity to, them, to point them to Jesus? Who is pointing you towards Jesus? Not in just on this Sunday morning, which I appreciate you being here, and we can open up the text and read and see, and I'm hoping that I'm pointing you to Christ but that in relationships where people know you more than I do sitting up here. Because only in really truly knowing you can we start to help and look and see where, where us as individuals are blind to where we're not believing the gospel, that we're not trusting Christ. Not to condemn us, to, put, to encourage us on to good works and holiness. So we see in this context multiplication happening in evangelism. We see multiplication happening in discipleship. And then finally, we see multiplication happening in sending. That picks up in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Because Antioch has been established now for a time. We know at least that Barnabas and Saul has been there, have been there for a year because it says that they were teaching people for a year. And it says this, Now in, your church, in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who were called Niger, Lucius and Cyrene, Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for, this, for the work to which I have called them. Then, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So what's happening in this, part, this story? Well, they've been there for at least a year, and there's leadership established. Clearly, there's other people besides Paul and Barnabas who have stepped up into roles. Their gifts have been noticed. They've been discipled, and they're starting to lead in different ways, capacities. We have prophets. We have teachers. They're leadership because they're making decisions about the community of faith. They're coming together to, to worship the Lord, to fast, and to pray together to see where he leads them in obedience. And so the way that we see sending happening is first that there's equipping of members for specific roles according to gifts and calling. 
those who are both maybe led and aspire to those roles, but also that we recognize in community God's gifted uniquely for those roles. We talked about that some weeks ago with deacons and pastors and the roles that happen in, in, within the church, that God has gifted people for teachers, to be teachers. And in this te- context in Antioch, that's been occurring. They're equipping people with those gifts, and God is using them in that way to bless the church. Secondly, not only are they equipping them, but those people are willingly stepping up and serving in those capacities. They're, they're being obedient to where God has placed them and how he has gifted them so that they can bless the church with the gifts God's given them. Thirdly, we see that they are following the Spirit in all of this. They're following the Spirit's leading and calling. They're being sensitive to hear from the Holy Spirit that he is telling them to, to uh, set aside Paul and Barnabas for this work, and then they continue to fast and pray. Now, I don't know about you, but if I hear the term fasting, I don't think that they just took a break off to pray for an hour. Usually we won't say that. We don't say that you fasted, so, oh, you just skipped a couple hours of not eating, and then you picked up supper. You know, that's not usually the case. So whatever period of time they're setting aside for, they're doing it in a way to pursue the Spirit's leading and whatever's going on so that they can obey Him and see where He's calling them. And in this case, he's telling Paul and Barnabas, you know those guys? Saul and Barnabas is what he's being called here. The ones that have been investing and discipling within the church, and they're really kind of like, seniors probably like, they come in the room, people are like, oh, let's learn for Saul. You know, they probably got a name, a reputation. Send them. Send them out. And what do they do? They fast, they prayed, they believe God, and they trust the Holy Spirit and they sent their best. We want to send our best. We, 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 we want to be the one who says, we, we want to plant a church or send out missionaries and in some, some small way, we, we kind of want to hurt from it. We want to be willing to sacrifice for it. That we don't hold on to you because you don't belong to this church. Just like Saul and Barnabas didn't belong to Antioch, but belonged to God. And if he calls you to go overseas and he leads you in that way, we want to be able to do like them. Affirm, lay hands on you in prayer, and send you out. Because you're not doing any good here if we're not obeying him. If we're not obeying the Spirit. If we're not clearly seeing where he's gifted you to be at work, wherever that might be. And so we want to be a church that sends. And we want to be a church that's filled with people that will go, just like Saul and Barnabas. We don't want to be booting you out the door because you don't want to be and you don't want to leave. We want you to pack up and say, yeah, I'm going to go in obedience. And what I think is unique and interesting about the story in Antioch that we just, that we see here, where it progresses from evangelism to discipleship and to sending out, equipping and sending out leaders is that it goes from talking about some men sharing the gospel. Don't even give their name. Just some men. Yeah, they were coming in here. Cyrus and all the people, they were there, but then some men started talking to the Greeks. And, and then it goes forward, and Barnabas and Saul show up to do discipleship, and those are leaders and names. Uh, I know I take that back. It's not even that. It moves forward to, to some people who are now leaders in the church. They actually give their names. Okay, it goes to leaders' names. And then we see it progresses on to Saul and Barnabas who are like, okay, 
as far as church is concerned. I mean, if you've been around church circles, you're like, I know Saul is and Barnabas. But it doesn't start with them. It starts with some men. Just being obedient to proclaim the good news. Just an organic obedience. Honestly, not even because they wanted to be there. They were just scared of dying in Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? If you find yourself in a place where you didn't plan it and it wasn't part according to your life plan and it wasn't working out just the way you hoped it would and man, this wasn't what I put on my like vision board when I was in high school. That God uses that persecution and some men start a church in Antioch that impacts the entire eastern and western world. That it's an organic obedience and that Barnabas and Saul show up to start investing there where the Spirit's already at work and then where the Holy Spirit then sends out more from that very place. Kingdom multiplication happens when the people of God embody our commission from Christ to be those disciple-making disciples. Pray that God leads you in that direction. Pray that he gives you that boldness. Pray that he gives you that clarity to see those in your life that you can speak the incredible message of freedom in Christ and salvation by Christ. And, and, and I feel led to ask this too. If you have some point in your life where you said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I trust him, I go after him, but that gospel has been nothing but bondage for you and you don't see freedom in Christ at all as a gift that it is? First off, I don't know what you're believing in because there is so much abundant mercy and kindness in Christ that it is freedom. This world might oppress you, but there is joy overflowing in the limitless, never-ending fountain of living water that is Christ. And so if in you're in that place, man, come and tell me because I want to talk to you about that because discipleship happens in the church and if we need to show you the glories of Christ and the beauties of salvation in him because it has gotten so dark and, and, and dreary and you're just not even able to see it for the surrounding darkness in your life, then let's talk about it. Because I'm up here talking and encouraging you to go out and multiply, and you're in your heart thinking, like, I don't feel like I'm being honest if I'm talking about good news. Well, then let's talk about what good news is. And let's be a people that take the, the commission from Christ and embody that to be disciple-making disciples. And let's start here. Not up here, not at the event, but right there at your home, at your table, in your life, on the street, with your neighbors, with your family. Pray that God leads you to share that good news with the people that he's already, as Paul says, directed your paths to be near so that in some way they might see Christ. Pray that to those ends. And let's make disciples. Father, thank you this morning for your kindness that we have this opportunity to open up your word and be encouraged by the way that you worked in Antioch. It's so evidently clear as we just look through this story from 10,000 feet, as it were, to see that you were at work. But I also know that when we're on the ground and we want to be obedient to you, that it's often not so clean and pretty. 
God, grant us the grace to be absolutely taken by the beauty of salvation in Christ, that he looks altogether amazing and wonderful to us in the truth that he is, that our affections would be stirred in that way so that we might enjoy the freedom and joy of life that is life in the family of God. Encourage us as your people to be a multiplying church, to take that message to the nations, to not be stubborn and stingy about the people that you've brought here together, but to be continually sending out our best so that more churches would be planted, like in Southeast Raleigh, but also throughout our entire area, that more missionaries would go over and across the field to establish, like in Antioch, another church in another place where the good news of the gospel is not heard. That yes, a light would be planted in that church, but that more lamps would go out into more cities around the globe. God, thank you for the privilege that we get to be a part of that. That's so much bigger than us, but that you care so personally about each one of us that you want to work through us to multiply your kingdom. Thank you for your grace. I've asked all this this morning in Christ's name. Amen.